0: Trigger warning. This podcast may contain themes of suicide, violence, and drug use. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Tia and Rio Attempt to Save Themselves and the World. Episode 13, The Man Who Sold the World. Previously on Tia and Rio Attempt to Save Themselves and the World, Anita and Hugh hash it out regarding Rio and Hugh's feelings toward her with Anita expressing that the happiest she has ever seen Rio is when she was briefly with Hugh. Steve is shocked when Darren, the absentee employee that keeps being brought up, shows up for work and notices his erratic behavior right away. Before anything can truly be addressed, Abigail shows up, convincing Darren to leave with her and join her K.G. mission. Tia tries to get Kiki to go with her to her first Narcotics Anonymous meeting, but Kiki refuses. While Kiki is alone, the orb in the cooler begins acting up, loudly knocking again and glowing through the cracks of the cooler's lid. Tia feels uneasy entering the Church of Paul, and her nerves only get worse as the night goes on. Tia is paired with Paige, her newfound NA buddy who immediately catches on that Tia doesn't actually have a drug problem. Paige insists Tia's secret is safe with her, providing Tia owes her a favor in the future. After Tia reluctantly agrees, she heads home, only to be struck with something large in the back of her head, knocking her out. When Anita picks up Rio from her first anger management meeting, she is disturbed to see blood on Rio's face. The women do not get to delve into many details before Rio's blinded by a green light and the name Tia escapes her lips. The morning after Tia's first NA meeting and Ryo's first anger management class, Kiki is startled awake by her phone ringing. She had fallen asleep with her headphones on, and the call echoed loudly in her ears. She's about to turn her phone to silent when she sees it's Dr. Matt Chen's number. Barely awake, Kiki answers his call. Mm, Hello? Kiki, hi! It's Matt here. How are you doing? Mm, I'm alright. What's up? Well, I'm looking for Tia. She and I were supposed to start our research today at my lab, and she hasn't arrived yet. At this remark, Kiki bolts upright and practically flies out of Mrs. Johnson's bedroom. She darts down the hall and into Tia's room. Tia is not there. Her bed is made, like it hasn't been slept in, and without a second thought, Kiki hurries downstairs and canvasses the living room and kitchen. Still no sign of Tia. Tia! Kiki cries out, her breathing becoming frantic. Kiki, is everything okay? Kiki slumps down, hardly able to comprehend the troubling thoughts that begin invading her mind. I fell asleep. She would have said goodnight if she had come home. I would have... I think... I would remember that. Boom, boom, boom! The orb is making so much noise. Kiki whips off her headphones to make sure she's hearing what she thinks she's hearing. With the headphones off, Matt hears the loud knocking too. Kiki, what is that? Is everything okay? Kiki bursts into tears. No! Nothing is okay! I don't think Tia ever came home last night, and now this goddamn cooler won't shut up! <sighs> that's that's why I went to bed with my headphones. I, I was trying to drown it out. Matt... That green light. The constant knocking. It it started not long after Tia left yesterday, and it hasn't stopped. I don't know what to do! In a calm voice, Matt does his best to console Kiki. Hey, I understand why you're upset. I think anyone would be, given these circumstances. I'm sure everything will be fine. No, you don't know Tia like I do. If today was supposed to be her first day working in a chemistry lab, and getting paid to do so, I know she would be there. Hell, she'd probably have gotten there early. She was, is, so excited to work with you. She's been dreaming of this forever. There's no way she wouldn't have shown up this morning unless something is really wrong. Should we call the police? Maybe they can- The police caring about a missing black woman? Yeah, right. And isn't there some kind of, like, rule or something? that they won't investigate a missing person until so much time has passed? I believe with adults, it's standard to wait 48 hours, but you said you know Tia wouldn't have missed today, and from the short but telling interactions I've had with Tia, I don't doubt that myself. I was surprised she wasn't here, which is why I called you. Do you know where Tia went last night? That might be the best place to start. Kiki searches the dining room and kitchen, and sure enough... All the details for Tia's first NA meeting had been written down. Punctual. Organized. Tia. If I text you the address, would you go with me? Of course. But Kiki... Yeah? Bring the cooler with you. Uh, I have another hypothesis I want to test out. Hell no. I'm not going near that thing. Matt is silent for a brief moment, which seems odd to Kiki. Hello? "'Yes, I'm still here. It's just... I think whatever is inside of that cooler, that strange orb or key, as Tia called it, is somehow connected to Tia in some way. "'I think it would be best to bring it with us. I'm hoping it has nothing to do with her sudden disappearance. "'As far as you know, she didn't open the cooler again, did she?' "'No. She went to her, um, meeting and I I really don't think she ever came home from it. Matt, I'm really worried about her. T, she's all I got. Kiki, you're not alone. I promise to do what I can to help you find her. Why are you being so nice to me anyway? What's your deal? I'm sorry. I I don't understand what you're asking. Kiki lets out a deep breath. (sighs) I mean... No one in my experience is ever this nice without wanting something in return. So, I'm asking what your deal is. What do you really want from Tia? I want, or rather need, a lab partner. And meeting her at that movie showing at the Blasco Library just seemed like fate. Kiki feels suspicious. Paranoid, even. Did you do something to her? Are you just fucking with me before you decide to do the same thing with me? Kiki, I understand why you feel this way, but please, I would never hurt you or Tia. There have been a lot of strange and unexplainable things happening around this area, and I'm sincerely just trying to get to the bottom of it all. Matt stresses, his chipper voice sounding more serious now. All this weird shit seems to keep getting worse since T met you. How do I know if I can really trust you? I suppose you can't really trust me. Not until you make that decision yourself. I'm trying to be a friend here, for both of you. But why? Because I see something in Tia that I think needs to be shared with the world. Every person is born with certain gifts. If I can help someone be their best and most useful self, then it's a win-win. So, you're not just some pervert? Kiki, if I was a pervert, do... You really think I would have helped you when Tia was floating in the living room? I mean, I guess not. Unless it's all a part of your game. The only game we should be focused on is finding your friend. If you know that something is wrong, and even I have a feeling that something is wrong, I think it'd be best if we work together to try and find out where Tia is and what happened. Don't you agree? Reluctantly, Kiki replies, Yeah. You're right. Sorry. Matt's chipper tone returns. It's quite alright. I realize I'm still a stranger, but I'm hoping that'll change and you'll see for yourself that I mean no harm to you or Tia. Okay, that's fair. But if you want to bring the cooler and whatever the hell's inside of it, then you can come and get it. Anita has tears in her eyes, staring at Rio, who's completely catatonic in a hospital bed. With great care, Anita slowly gets up to sit down next to Rio, to lightly stroke her white blonde hair. She can't help but picture the shock and fear that seemed to hit Rio so suddenly in the car. As she stares at the woman whom she proudly considers to be her daughter, she recalls Rio's strange behavior over the past week and a half. Rio has always been a bit jumpy. She's the most anxious person Anita has ever met in her lifetime, and yet even still, these past two weeks have felt like Rio has been someplace different altogether. Before Anita can ponder any further, she sees Hugh cautiously enter the room. He gives Anita a quick hello, but his eyes immediately settle on Rio. Anita watches him as he watches Rio, his eyes filled with concern and the ever-present guilt that seems to follow him wherever he goes. Without taking his eyes off of Rio, he says, What happened? How is she like this? Hugh moves to be on the other side of Rio, and he instinctively goes to sit down next to her as well, but he stops himself. He hovers over Rio, as if waiting for permission. Anita carefully stands. She gestures for Hugh to sit. Sit. Por favor. Hugh does as he's told, his eyes nearly unmoving from Rio. He starts to take her hand, but hesitates. Anita breaks the ice. I called you here because I don't want to leave her alone, but I've been called in to work. I honestly have no clue what happened. After we last spoke, I went to pick her up at her anger management class And when she got in the car, there was blood on her face. She said her anger buddy whacked another man so hard with the canoe paddle that blood splattered everywhere. She assured me she was fine. And she seemed like she always seems. Jittery, but okay. She was making jokes and everything, and then she got this strange look in her eyes. She looked terrified and said someone's name I haven't heard before. And then it was like my Rio was just... empty. Hugh does his best to maintain a calm composure, but he struggles. His eyes water, and his jaw clenches as he stares at Rio. One of the things I've always liked and admired about Rose is how quirky and funny she is. Hugh clears his throat, throat) his voice becoming softer as he continues. It's. Hard to find darkness around her, because she's like the sun. She lights up every room she goes in. That's my girl. She can't stay like this. She's going to get better. Hugh shifts so that he can look at Anita while still being able to have Rio in his eyeline. I want names. I want to know who was at this meeting. Someone there ought to know something. Yes. I understand that's what you want, but right now, I need you to be here with Rio so if she does wake up, she is not alone. I'm not going anywhere. Good, because she doesn't need the angry store manager, Hugh. She needs the kind and caring friend I know you have been to her over the past two years. Anita gathers her belongings, gearing up to leave. She's been sedated but I think if she hears your voice, I don't know, maybe it will help. Anita moves to be beside Rio, gives her hand a squeeze while saying, I love you, and then gives Hugh a friendly and thankful wave as she heads out of the room. Hugh does his best to not simply sit and stare at Rio, but he finds it hard to do anything else. He continues to hold her hand, occasionally giving it a squeeze, and hoping for some kind of response. Hugh fondly remembers the first time he ever met Rio, nearly three years ago. It was the first time he'd ever seen her in his store, and he couldn't recall in all the years he'd worked retail ever seeing someone in such good spirits. He hadn't meant to stare at her, but when she saw Hugh for the first time, she immediately asked, Is this your store? Hugh nodded. Yeah. Holy shit! How did I not know about this place? You have the coolest selection here. Rio held up a copy of Duran Duran's album Medazzaland with the biggest smile on her face. You have no idea how long I've been looking for a physical copy of this album. Rio scanned the section of CDs she was currently browsing, and her mouth dropped open. And you have Liberty. Rio picked up Duran Duran's album Liberty and practically raced to the counter, where Hugh was amusedly watching her eyeball his store. All right, don't judge me here or anything, but this may be one of the best days of my life. The usually stiff Hugh laughed out loud at this comment. <laughs> he couldn't help himself from smiling at this peculiar, almost overly happy young woman. You know, I'm actually hiring, if you're interested. Stop, Rio said with a half-laugh, half-giggle. I mean, I haven't been in the store for very long, but it's already my favorite, and as much as I love working in a veterinarian's office, it's way more depressing than I could have ever imagined. Hugh didn't know how to respond to this, so Rio filled in the blanks. Yeah, see, I love animals. And it really bothers me seeing so many that are abused or neglected. There are a lot of bad people out there. Makes my stomach churn just thinking about it. I can't argue with you there. To be perfectly honest, I'm not the biggest fan of people. Rio laughed. The smile never leaving her face. Then maybe you're a fan of one of my other favorite bands? The Smiths? Hugh grinned ear to ear. They're great. I take it you're an 80s fan? My biggest regret in life is not having been born sooner so that I could have lived through the 80s. Hugh took note of this before carefully asking, what decade were you born in? Rio had given Hugh a playful smirk as she replied, 90s. Early 90s. What about you? Hugh paused, not especially eager to showcase his age. With a wince, he answered, Seventies. Mid-seventies. Ryo's happy expression remained unchanged. Lucky bastard! You got to live and experience what I would consider the greatest decade. Every decade has its ups and downs, believe me. Hugh kindly replied before his expression turned into his typical, serious one. Were you interested in an application? Oh, I'm totally serious. I'm going to need money to keep up with my insatiable music appetite. (laughs) That's a new one. I like that. Okay. Hugh stepped down from behind the cash register in the front of the store and quickly retrieved a job application from his office in the back. As he went to hand Rio the application, he stopped and extended his hand. I'm Hugh, by the way. Hugh Kirby. Rio returned his handshake. I'm Rose. I also go by Rio. A grin formed on Hugh's face, the two shaking hands just a little longer than your average handshake. Is that a Duran Duran thing? You catch on quick. I like that. Hugh and Rio ended their handshake, but their gazes continued to remain focused on one another. As cool as the name Rio is, I think Rose is really fitting. And a very pretty name. <clears throat> Hugh cleared his throat immediately after having said this. Rio laughed. (laughs) You are welcome to call me Rose. I mean, as long as I get the job. Hugh leaned in. You already have the job. As long as you fill out the application to keep this on the up and up, and you show up for your first shift. And when would that be? As soon as you're free from the vet's office? Then, let's say, in a week? Maybe two weeks, if they want to be extra formal? Hugh's mouth hurt from the awkward smile he couldn't get to leave his face. I can work with that. Hugh walked back toward the register to ring up Rio's CDs. Rio followed, her eyes full of curiosity and admiration. She even knew exactly what album and artist was playing at the time he rang her up. He had just put on the album... The man who sold the world only minutes before her angelic white blonde hair and gleeful face waltzed through his door. Her David Bowie knowledge thoroughly impressed him. Everything about her was kind of impressive. Hugh could never forget the way he had felt that day. There was something so pure about this woman, something kind yet fun and free spirited. He remembered how, as she was leaving the store, She turned around to give him a big, genuine smile on her way out. Her happiness had been contagious, and he couldn't wait to see her again, let alone have the chance to work with her and get to know her. So now, seeing the woman who continues to bring light into the darkness that inadvertently surrounds him, seeing the only person he feels he truly and fully loves in a state of catatonia, pains him more than he feels he can handle. Please. Rose, you need to get better. Anita needs you to get better. I need you to get better. Hugh can feel himself getting worked up. With no one else around, Hugh lets the tears fall freely. A very small sense of relief washes over him as he allows himself to cry before the sadness truly hits him. He sobs over Rio unable to comprehend why she's in a catatonic state, as he worries he is to blame. In the basement of the Church of Paul, Hidden underneath the refreshments table reserved for the NA meetings is a secret passageway that leads to a basement beneath the basement, a place that Father Paul considers to be his very own private sanctuary, the place where he would most often meet with Nathaniel, a creepy, dungeon-like room with a couple of old-fashioned-looking chairs and a very old-timey couch with no natural light. There are candles strategically placed all throughout this vast, mostly empty room. In one of the chairs, tied up and gagged, is Tia. The back of her head is bloodied from the whack she had received last night. Her head slumped downward. Just exactly how hard did you hit her head? She should be awake by now, Abigail protests, her arms and nostrils flaring in anger. Hey, I just did what you told me. You never said how hard to hit her. You just said, knock her out. And I did. Where's my money? Money? (laughs) What? Who said anything about money? You said, where we're going, I'd be rich. A skittish Darren replies. Has anyone ever told you that you're an idiot? We're just below the house of God, okay? That is the payment. Eternal salvation what the fuck can I do with that? That's not going to get me what I need. Darren goes to grab Abigail, but she dodges him. She's about to say something snarky when Adam and Father Paul descend the ancient-looking stairway that leads to this strange place. Abigail, your message sounded urgent, Father Paul states. He and Adam enter the room where Darren and Abigail continue to lurk around a still-not-awake Tia. Father Paul practically gasps when he sees Tia. For the first time since she began worshiping at the Church of Paul, Abigail is frightened to see Father Paul's anger directed at her. My God, what is going on? Why have you brought Tatiana here to this most sacred place of worship? She is a heathen amongst us and you have brought her to this most holy place? Father, please, I can explain. She was already here. You remember how she stupidly took the fall for her drug addict friend? It turns out her any meetings are held right here. Father, she walked into this place. When I saw her, I knew it was our opportunity to save the world from her. That is not your call to make, Abigail. Father Paul sighs. <sighs> This is now a very messy situation. But we haven't broken any of the rules. We didn't kill her. She looks pretty bad. No one asked you, Abigail huffs. Besides, Father, I've recruited someone new for our mission. Someone who knows Rose personally. Father Paul's mood turns slightly less angry. Is that true? Do you know Miss Rose Smith? Yeah, and like I told her, Darren points to Abigail. She goes by the name Rio. I haven't seen her in a while, though. I've been busy with other things. Have you explained our mission to this man? Because if you have, he should have acted with more caution. I must agree with Adam here. She looks pretty bad. Of course she looks bad. She's evil. That's enough. All of you, get on your knees. We must pray about this. We must ask for guidance, as we are the sheep serving his flock. What? Darren asks. But Abigail pulls on him to bring him to his knees. Abigail, Adam, Darren, and Father Paul all get to their knees while Father Paul begins to pray out loud. Most Holy One. We have been misguided. We may have made a mistake. Please put us back on the path to righteousness. We surrender to your will. The room suddenly becomes lighter as every candle flame instantly grows another foot taller. The fire appears unnatural as most of the flames present far exceed at least twice the height of the candles themselves. The room is engulfed in fire until Nathaniel materializes out of thin air and lots of fire. Nathaniel looks around with a satisfied smirk on his face until he sees Darren, then frowns. You're new. I'm Darren. I don't care. Nathaniel begins to pace the short length of the dungeon room they're all in, glancing at each of them all the while he speaks. What is a vital concern to me is that Tia is here, in the last known location she was seen. Darren leans close to Abigail and whispers, What's with the kid? Is he some kind of magician or something? (laughs) Or something, Abigail coldly replies. Abigail steps forward. Tia came to us. Not us, exactly, but this church for her Narcotics Anonymous meeting. She saw me praying when she came up from her meeting. I didn't know her meetings would be held here. We always have such a small crowd, but when I saw her, I knew it was an opportunity to take down evil. Was this your idea? Nathaniel ignores Abigail and addresses Father Paul. Father Paul shakes his head. I just discovered she was here a few minutes ago. We were just praying for your forgiveness. We will accept any penance for our sins. Nathaniel gives Father Paul a look of disgust. Please, spare me your woes. You idiots are going to ruin everything. Kiki and her newfound nerdy ally are on their way here. You need to get rid of Tia before they arrive. Adam raises his hand. Quick question. Is this one of those times where you say get rid of, but you mean kill? Need! I remind you morons that no one can kill Tia or Rio except them. They must commit suicide or else all of this work and agony will have been for nothing. Do you understand? Slowly, everyone but Darren nods. A sadistic smile forms on Nathaniel's face. Now that I have everyone's attention, let me explain what's going to happen, seeing as I, once again, have to clean up your mess. Adam, Abigail, and Darren, you will take Tia and put her somewhere outside, near this building, but far enough away that they'll assume she was mugged or attacked on her way home from her meeting. Nathaniel eyes Father Paul up and down for several awkward, silent moments before continuing. And you, you stay here with me. I have great sights to show you. Father Paul steals a glance at Abigail before interjecting. Does this mean we are forgiven for our sins? As long as you play by my rules moving forward, then I suppose I can let this foolish act go. Nathaniel waltzes over to Tia, crossing his arms as he studies her. There's a new man in Tia's life. He's smart, a man of science. A man incapable of understanding the old ways. The biblical ways. Nathaniel begins to pace again. He poses a threat to our cause, but I have my doubts he'll be able to do anything to stop us. The real threat here is Rio. Her powers continue to get stronger every day. Nathaniel stops pacing to stare at the ground. He enjoys pausing for dramatic effect. He purposefully pouts his lips. Somehow, some way, she was able to hurt me. How did she hurt you? The details don't matter. But what does matter is that she's dangerous and she must be stopped. Nathaniel points to Adam, Abigail, and Darren. You three, get moving. We can't have that Mac guy poking around here. He may not be privy to our ways but he's no fool. Nathaniel glares as Abigail struggles to untie Tia, and then Adam and Darren have a hard time lifting Tia in order to carry her limp body up the stairs. All right, are you going first or am I going first? Because I'm not great at walking backwards. Oh, it's fine, I'll go first. Wait, okay, okay, hold on, hold on. I'm holding, hold on. I'm holding. I'm going to trip up the stick. Hold on, hold on, give me a second. I'm not even moving. Hold, wait, all right. I've got the legs, you've got the head. Now, uh, keep the head up The Wait, no, not that way. Come Don't on. stop, we're gonna fall. Hold on, hold on. Oh my God. Nathaniel waits until he hears the passageway door close before making the entire room spin. Father Paul teeters, trying to find something to balance himself, but his efforts are futile. He falls, landing hard on his right side the pain sharp in his right elbow, with a shooting pain that follows his elbow all the way down to his toes. He feels paralyzed as the room keeps spinning, a wave of dizziness washing over him. I wouldn't be too hard on Abigail. She's quick, brazen even. Her impulsive plan provided me with the strength I needed to heal. She's the best sheep you've got. <laughs> Nathaniel giggles to himself, watching as Father Paul struggles to get up, but can't. You know, that Darren guy, I've got very important plans for him. He will prove worthy of the cause. Don't you worry. Nathaniel coos, leaning over Father Paul. The room slowly moves back into focus, causing Father Paul to realize they are no longer in the Church of Paul's basement's basement. Instead. They're in a cave, a cave that's eerily familiar to Father Paul. (sighs) How? Father Paul asks, his body trembling out of fear, more so than pain. I think you mean, why? Nathaniel retorts, right before another Father Paul, a much younger-looking Father Paul, crawls over to Nathaniel. Father Paul watches in horror as the young version of himself dips his hand into a thin crack at the bottom of this cave dwelling and begins feeling around. His hand moves with purpose, clearly searching for something within the cracks. Why are you showing me this? I, I was a different person then. I hadn't been ordained yet. I was a sinner. You mean you are a sinner, stealing from one of the poorest nations in the world after having made a deal with someone who traffics other human beings for a living. You told those evil men where those schoolgirls were hiding in exchange for this rare, large gem. I see the way you look at Abigail. There's something about her that reminds you of the girls you gave up for your own gain. But I have reformed. That is why I have been blessed to help you. God has seen my suffering and sin and has forgiven me. Is that really what you think? Do you talk to God often? Yes, I I do. Every day. And then you came along, showing me that I can help undo some of the damage I've done. I can pay for my grave sins. Nathaniel smiles, his attention turning from a quivering Father Paul back to the young version. This is my favorite part, Nathaniel tells him. The young man pulls out a large, vibrant ruby, a smile creeping across his face as he holds it up high, proud of this rare treasure he now has all to himself. This is the same ruby Nathaniel had held over Father Paul when the two first met, just shy of two weeks ago. Nathaniel's attention turns back to Father Paul. What? I thought you would be pleased to remember such an important day. Within about 30 seconds of young Father Paul extracting the ruby, the ground beneath them begins to shake violently. A massive earthquake erupts, and the young Father Paul races with the ruby in his hands out of the cave as fast as he can. Please, make it stop! Father Paul begs, his eyes filling with tears. Do you know how many people died on this day? How many souls suffered for your selfishness? I'm a bad man. I still hear the screams when I go to bed. It's amazing you sleep at all. Really? I'm sorry for what I've done. That is why I will do whatever I can to help save the world. Nathaniel lets out a sadistic cackle. <laughs> Don't you understand? I brought you to this memory to show you exactly what kind of man you are. To remind you of the evil I know you're capable of. This Nathaniel gestures to the chaos unfolding around them, the cave being filled with rocks and other debris from the earthquake, the screams of agony going on above them. Is exactly why I chose you for my mission. You sold the world a long time ago, and now we've returned to collect what is ours. Father Paul looks up at Nathaniel with eyes full of terror, instead of the usual wonder or delight. We? Within seconds, at least two dozen demons appear behind Nathaniel. Their eyes are all black and hollow, their skin non-existent, just open muscle and jagged, gnarled teeth in unthinkable places. A few have no eyes at all, and several demons have too many arms, legs, tentacles, and even heads. As Father Paul scrambles to get up and run, he's thrust to the ground. Several demons hold him down, while several more begin pulling on his jaw, cracking and breaking it open. Father Paul lets out a howling scream, the pain unbearable. A demon with black eyes steps forward, then lunges foot first into Father Paul's mouth. Father Paul chokes and cries, his eyes pleading at Nathaniel to make this all stop. More bones break, the cracks almost cartoonish, as Father Paul can feel himself being torn apart from the inside out. Father Paul's screams and rupturing flesh begin to fade as the demon who went foot first fully emerges into Father Paul's body. Suddenly, Father Paul's broken and torn body sits upright. He cracks his neck wiggles his fingers then jumps to stand upright in one swift motion a very sick unnatural smile starts to form until the being now inside father paul sees something in the distance that wipes the smile off of his newfound face nathaniel turns and sees rio standing there her eyes wide in horror having witnessed the entire thing how nathaniel screams his childlike face twisting into something similar to the other demons that surround him. How are you here? Just as Nathaniel rushes toward her, Rio vanishes. A couple blocks over from the Church of Paul, Tia groans as Matt and Kiki wake her up. Oh, my head. Easy, Matt urges, seeing the wound on the back of her head. We should take you to the hospital. You may have a concussion. Oh, what happened? Tia asks, confused. That's what we'd like to know, Kiki replies, before hugging her best friend. I didn't even realize you hadn't come home till Matt called. Tia takes in her surroundings and her expression turns to one of disgust when she realizes she's lying on a filthy sidewalk. Ugh, gross. Kiki and Matt both step up to help Tia get off the ground. Tia feels the back of her head throbbing, and she feels lightheaded and dizzy. I think I'm gonna be sick, Tia says, right before she throws up. The hospital it is, Matt says, as he takes out his car keys and hurries over to his car that's parked a few feet from where they're standing. How did you guys find me? Tia asks, once she's done hurling. Would you believe me if I said the cooler? Or, I guess, whatever the hell's inside of it? On blinking, Tia states, Yes, I would. Once Matt pulls up right by Tia and Kiki, he hops out and assists Tia inside his very soccer dad-looking minivan. Whoa! Kiki exclaims, and Matt follows up Kiki's whoa with a Remarkable! Tia, even in her weakened state, is puzzled and wants answers. What? The cooler, or, I mean, the orb thingy, it it was glowing so brightly, it looked radioactive. Dangerous, perhaps. Then, as we got closer to you and your location, the light intensified, and so did the sounds. The cooler has no light erupting from it now, nor any sounds. It appears normal for a brief second there. We even thought it spoke. Matt confesses. The orb spoke? And what did this key have to say? Matt and Kiki exchange a quick glance. Tia notices, and her patience withers. What? You're killing me here. Matt hesitates before responding. We heard it say, let me out. Tia and Rio Attempt to Save Themselves and the World is written, created, and produced by Callie Oberlander. Tia is performed by Hugh Philpott. Adam is performed by John S. Quinn All other voices are performed by Callie Oberlander. All sound design, editing, and music are by Eric Brown. My continuity checkers, readers, and biggest supporters are Jules Johnson, Hilary Roback, and Hugh Philpott. And if you've made it this far, please remember that even in the darkest times, there is always hope. I'm Brittany, and I have a bachelor's degree in film and television. And I'm Jessica, and I have a bachelor's degree in equine studies. What would happen if we put our heads together? We would come up with the new best worst horse movie. Like a movie where a horse is the best hard-boiled detective the city has ever seen. Or a movie where horses are fighting in the front lines in a space war. We're doing just that here at Cult Classics, a new show on the Pocket Podcast Network. Join us every other Monday for good horses, Bad plots, and all the bad horse movies you never knew you needed in your life. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.